Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. If you're here today, maybe it's your first time. I want to start by welcoming you and introducing myself. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC, and we are so excited to have each and every one of you here as we celebrate Father's Day together. And today we're honoring the men in the room. We're celebrating you, dads, in this room and, and the, the heroes that you are in our life and the difference that you make um, in each and every one of our lives. And then we also just want to let you know, we realize for everyone this day is different. And so there may be those of you um, in the room today and Father's Day is a little bit difficult. Maybe you've lost a father, you've lost a son or a daughter, and so today is hard. And We want you to know as well with you, we're praying for you, and our thoughts and our heart is with you today as well as we honor dads on this day together. And today I want to share a message with the men in the room. I want to share a message that I'm praying God will use to challenge each and every one of us to live out the mission and the calling that God has over our life. But this message isn't just applicable to men, but to everyone in the room. I'm hoping and praying that everyone can take a part of this message and that God will use it to challenge you in your daily life. For those of you that are ever up here during the weekday, our staff likes to have a lot of fun together. And typically at some point, whether it's when we're eating lunch together or um, some point, we'll come up with some crazy questions like, would you rather have a million dollars or would you rather walk on the moon? No one? Okay. Um, Would you rather wrestle a polar bear or two wolves? Which one would it be? Okay. So usually some crazy question gets thrown out in the day. And yes, there is a right answer. It is the wolves, okay? You don't want to face a polar bear. And a couple of weeks ago, Adam was throwing out a crazy question. Our connections pastor and Adam said, hey, if you could live out the storyline of some movie, what would it be? And so that got me thinking, and it wasn't too hard. One of my favorite uh, movie characters is Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible. How many of you guys have seen those movies? With Tom Cruise? Okay, some, some people like those movies. Excited about that. And, man, I love, I love that storyline, kind of that idea of Mission Impossible, right? He gets the secret mission. There's some, something he has to do that's going to save the world or take out some villain. And, right, this message will self-destruct in five, four, three, and then the fuse goes off or whatever, right? I love that idea of, of the mission And God knows that he's made men like that. I don't think it's just me. Maybe you don't like those movies. But God has made each and every one of us as men to to want that action, to want that mission in our life. And God has given us as men a mission in our life. Maybe you don't always think about that or don't always realize that. But as a man, you have a mission from God for your life. Something that you're supposed to do. A unique calling that God has placed over you as an individual that God has placed over your life. And so I want to talk about that today, what that looks like. Men, the very first thing that you are called to do, the first mission that God has given you before your work or before your employment or anything else that you think identifies you in your life, you have a mission from God to pursue a relationship with him. You have a mission from God to to go after and to pursue the God who called you, the God who created you. That should be the number one focus inside of your life. As I said, before anything else, that desire to know the God who wants a relationship with you should be that mission that drives us. The word of God says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, God said that pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to your life after that. 
Sometimes as guys, we get that backwards. We're looking for success or promotion. We're looking for what it is that we can accumulate. And Jesus reminds us, no, it's about pursuing that relationship with God. That's where it starts in our life. For many of you in this room, God has extended your mission and he's given you a wife, he's given you a spouse, and you have a mission from God as a man to love your wife, to love the spouse that God has given you, that he's placed in your life. Ephesians chapter five says that. He says, men, this is your mission from God. You should love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. Guys, are you doing that? Every single day, are you laying down your wants and your desires and you're being that reflection of Christ to the wife that God has given you, to the wife that he's placed inside of your life? You know what? As men in this room, we have another part of our mission that we're given. We are called to leave a legacy and to pour into the next generation. Each and every one of you are called to do that. For some of you, it's through the kids that God has given you. You've had biological kids. For others, it's through adoption. God has brought kids into your household. For others of you, it may not be kids that you have, but God has called you to be a spiritual leader for kids and for the next generation that he's placed around you. You're a spiritual mentor. Maybe it's to young cousins that you have, younger siblings. Maybe it's to nieces or nephews, but God has called you as men to live out a legacy, to be a reflection of who he is as a good heavenly father to the next generation that he's placed around you. Psalm says that, oh God, I will declare your mighty acts, your wondrous deeds to the next generation. Men, you have a mission from God that you are called to live out for your life. And the dangerous thing is that each and every one of us, we're tempted if we do not embrace our God-given mission. If we don't embrace that mission to love God, to love our wife, to pour into that next generation, we will begin to grab hold of what I call shadow missions. See, shadow missions are the things in our life that deviate us and that pull us away from our God-given mission. They're these things in your life that are unworthy of the calling that God has on your life. A shadow mission is something in your life where the focus of your life, where the drive of your life begins to become self-centered and self-absorbed. It's the sin and the temptation that would call you away from God's calling over your life. And each and every one of us, it can happen to any of us. We can trade in God's given mission for our life and we can begin to live out the shadow missions of our life. Things that would try to distract us from what God desires and what God would speak over our life. And today, I want us to look at a story in the Bible that exposes this idea where we see the shadow mission in the life of a king, a few of these missions that are pulling him away from God's true calling over his life and someone that's challenged to live out God's calling in their life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me in the book of Esther, and we're going to start in Esther chapter 1 and verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you this morning. And I want to encourage you to take out that Bible, maybe one seat over, and you can turn to page 233 in that Bible. For those of you that are familiar with the book of Esther, it may seem a little odd that on Father's Day, we're going to walk through the story of a woman who was the hero of her story. But ladies, there's a lot of things that we can learn from you today, right? As dads, amen? That was your chance to say amen, women, okay? There's some things that we can learn today, and, and as we look at this, we're going to see once again this king who got off track on the mission that God had called him to and the effect that it had on the lives around him. And so in Esther, in the book of Esther, this is a book where, if you're not familiar with the book, where God's people are no longer living in the promised land. 
God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he had brought them into a land, and he gave them this land. And he said, hey, I've put you here to prosper, um, to be a light to the other nations, but the people of God had turned away from God. They had begun to follow false idols and false gods, and they had turned their heart away from the one true God. And as they did this, another nation came in and took them into captivity. It was the Babylonian Empire that came in and swept them away. And then the Babylonian Empire fell, and it was replaced by the empire of the Medes and the Persians. And that's where we're picking up the story of Esther. And at this time, this empire is led by a king named King Ashuerus. And so if you have your Bibles, we can start reading Esther chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. Now, in the days of Ashuerus the king who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. And in those days, the king sat on his royal throne in Susa in the citadel. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media, the nobles, the governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and the pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were complete, the king gave for all of the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And there were white cotton curtains and violet hanging fastened with cords of fine linen and purple and silver rods, marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement. There was marble and the mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. See, the author of this story starts off, and right at the beginning, we begin to see the shadow mission of King Ashuerus. See, as a king, he was called to lead in a number of different ways. He was called to lead with the authority that God had given him as an example to the people in his kingdom. He was called as a leader, as all leaders are, not to take what he had been given and use it on himself, his power, his possessions, his position. It wasn't just for his own benefit. He was called to use that to lead the kingdom wisely, to lead the kingdom fairly, to meet the needs of those that were under his authority. But that's not how we pick up this story. That's not what we find. See, the first shadow mission that we see in King Ashuerus' life is he's driven by possessions. The focus of his life has come to the place of what he owns, what he possesses, and he wants to show it off for everyone. So what does he do? He throws a party for 180 days, six months throughout the entire kingdom. He displays, look at everything that I've acquired. Look at everything that I've gotten. Look at the success because of what I own. I am a wealthy king, and so he does this. And then the party continues after six months. That's not long enough. And so he throws another party for seven days for those in the capital. And great and small come, and, and they see everything that is in the king's possession. His life is driven by this, by the wealth that he has. Did you catch that? Each golden goblet is different, various kinds different from the others. He's not just running to the party store. He's not just doing that. He opens up the wine cellar of the kingdom. This is open bar night in the capital and everyone drinks to their fill. He wants to show everyone the possessions that he has. See, that's what drives his life. In the story, as you continue on, you find out in this kind of drunken stupor after seven days, he makes a request of the king, queen. And he invites the queen to come and to parade herself in front of the nobles and the officials. He makes the mistake that everything that he has is a possession and the queen is just one of those possessions. 
And so he says, I want you to come. I want to show everyone how beautiful you are, what it is that I have in my possession that I can win this beautiful woman over. And her response goes something like this, parade myself in front of a drunken mob after seven days of Miller time? No, thank you. Going to stay home, going to do my hair, got to do my nails, I've got to fold some laundry. I'm not coming, king. There's no way that I am doing that. And as she defies the king's request, this supposed focus of his life, this supposed mission that everything that he has are, is in his possession is all of a sudden starting to crumble and the king becomes irate. See, if we're not careful, guys, in this room, our life and our focus can be about what we own. And the people in our life can become hurt through that because we can just view them as another possession, as something else that we have instead of loving them and respecting them as people that God has placed in our life. And we can begin to live out that shadow mission. The second shadow mission of the king is exposed as you continue through this story. He's irate at the queen, so what does he do? He goes to the wise men, he goes to the sages, this most powerful person in the world, can't even communicate with his own wife, and so what does he do? He turns to the law, and he says, what do I do? The queen has defied my order, she's defied my edict, and these guys are just guys around him who are yes men. They feed into the king's shadow mission, and they tell him, oh king, the law is simply here so that you can prove your power to those in the kingdom. And so you should make a law that, you know what, the queen can no longer appear before you. The queen can no longer come in your presence. Probably didn't hurt her feelings that much because she didn't want to be around the king anyway. But that's the law that he says. The man says, you know what, make this law and here's what will happen. If you order this law, then all of the women in the king kingdom, they'll be afraid of their husbands They'll love and respect and honor their husbands. And this will affect all of the women in the kingdom, both great and small, because that's the way it works, women, right? There's a law and everything's happy in the household. No, it doesn't work like that. And so they expose the king's shadow mission that, you know what, you can just use your power to do what you want. No one's brave enough to stand up to the king and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have asked that of the queen. You need to go and apologize to her and say, I'm sorry for treating you like a possession instead of a person. None of the wise men or sages there expose the shadow mission and say, you know what, O king, the laws that you create should be laws that are fair and laws that are just. Do not create laws that are just there for your own benefit. But no one is willing to stand up to the king's shadow mission. And so he continues to live this focus out of gaining more power. And so the king does, he orders this, that the queen is exiled. And then all of a sudden he realizes something, he's lonely. He doesn't like being alone. And so what does he do? He throws a beauty pageant. He chooses one woman from every province, 127 provinces, and he's gonna choose the most beautiful, the most wise woman. And so they hold this beauty pageant. And these women go through a year of beautification. I mean, can you imagine a year getting ready for a date? Women, how many of you guys have spent an hour getting ready for a date or something? Okay, a few of you guys are ready to admit that. How many of you have spent longer getting ready for the date than on the date because it was so bad? Okay, some of you guys. And that's what they're doing. They're spending a year. I mean, if you can't look beautiful after a year, I don't know what else you're going to do. Okay, so there's probably a lot of pressure as they're coming before the king. I mean, they spent a year getting ready. And the twist in the story is the woman who catches the king's eye, the woman who pleases the king is actually an orphan girl. She's being raised by her uncle Mordecai. And she's a Jewish young girl. 
doesn't belong to the kingdom. She's not a part of the, the culture there of the Medes and the Persians. She's an outsider, but God's hand is over her life. And the favor of God, the wisdom of God is over her life. And she stands out among all the other women from all the other provinces. And now she's chosen as the queen. But the story doesn't end there. This isn't just a rags to riches story of an orphan girl that ends up in the palace. No, the story is about living out your true mission. And so one more shadow mission of the king is exposed. Not only this desire for possessions, not only this drive for power, this drive for ambition. We're introduced to one more character named Haman who hates the Jewish people. And he comes before the king and he says, Oh, king, there's this people that live in your empire. They live in your kingdom and they're not really like us. They don't fit into our culture. They're causing problems. And so here's what I'm going to do. I know that you're always looking for ways to increase your wealth. I'm going to give you this large sum of money this tremendous wealth that would basically be the amount that one of the provinces would give you over the course of a year, I'll give you that to you in one lump sum if you'll simply allow me to wipe out this group of people. And the king doesn't live out the true mission to act in fairness or justice. He doesn't begin to ask questions, who is, who is this group of people, what have they done? No, it's feeding into his shadow mission. He's lost what God has truly called him to do what God has truly called him to be. And because it's feeding into his shadow mission, he just goes along with it. Sure, Haman, give me the money and wipe out the people. And what he doesn't know is he's ordered a death threat on his own wife. It's affecting someone that's close to him. Man, you start to live out the shadow mission in your life instead of what God has truly called you to be, it's going to affect people closest to you in ways that you never even thought possible. And that's where the king finds himself. He finds himself in this place. But it's not always more that will satisfy. He quickly learns that it's not the drive for ambition and more and more things that will bring satisfaction and bring contentment in your life. Guys, it's not getting more that is going to bring that contentment that you're looking for. More doesn't bring contentment. I can prove that to you. I mean, think about that. Who's more content, the father with a million dollars or the father with 12 kids? It's the father with 12 kids. He doesn't want any more, you guys. He's already got 12. The man that has a million probably still wants more money, but more doesn't always bring that contentment in our life. And the, the king gives into the shadow mission of ambition, the drive for more, and it begins to affect those people that are closest to him. So he orders the edict, and when Mordecai, Esther's uncle, hears about this, he's grieved. And he goes to Esther and he says, you have to appear before the king. You have to go before the king and plead for the life of your people. And Esther's response is this, Mordecai, don't you remember what happened to the last queen when she did something that displeased the king? She was banished. My life could be required of me. Anyone that appears before the king without being summoned has the ability to be executed. I can't do this. I could die. And Mordecai is the only person in this story that has the wisdom to stand up to someone's shadow mission. And he says this in Esther chapter 4, verse 13. If you still have your Bibles open, you can follow along with me there. Esther 4, 13. Mordecai replies to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, 
And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, Mordecai begins to challenge the shadow mission of Esther. Esther, don't think that you're just in this position to be eye candy for the king. Don't think that you're here just to gain a lot of possessions, to have a nice wardrobe, to be protected. Don't think it's just about all of this lavish things that you have and this lifestyle that you're living. No, that's the shadow mission. Your true mission is God is calling you to be a voice for your people. And who knows that God has brought you into the kingdom, into this place for such a time as this. Esther, God's calling you to live out your true mission, the true purpose that he's placed you in this position for. Esther, you're called to be God's plan of redemption for his people. You're part of his plan of salvation. So Esther takes that challenge and she asks Mordecai, will you spend three days praying and fasting she gets on her face in front of God saying, God, give me the boldness, give me the courage, Lord, not to just give in to what other people are saying or what's expected of me. God, give me the boldness to live out the mission that you've spoken over my life. God, no matter what it costs. And in Esther chapter four, verse 16, she says these famous statements to Mordecai. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai, I'm willing to live out God's mission no matter what it costs. No matter what it takes, I'm willing to give my life in pursuit of this mission that God has called me to. And if I perish, I perish. It's a powerful story, and I'm not going to go through the rest of it, but I want to encourage you to read the story of Esther this week and to see how God uses this young woman who's willing to live out her mission, who's willing to pursue God's calling over her life, to bring salvation and redemption to God's people. And I want to close this message by challenging the men in this room with three things. The first is this, what is your shadow mission? Have you identified it? What is your shadow mission? What is it in your life that slowly, in small, subtle ways, will get you off track from what God has called you to truly do? See, you may never have identified it. You may have never recognized it. I can promise you the people around you know it. My wife is really good about calling that out in my life, right? Husbands, our wives can do that. Our kids see that in our lives where we get off track, where we start to pursue ourselves in so many different ways. See, other people around us know that, and it's dangerous when we haven't identified that in our own life. And the truth, man, is it's hardly ever in the opposite direction of our gifts and our talents it's usually just a slight variation from what God has called you to do. This week I was watching um, the History Channel and Micah and I, my son, we were watching Top Shot together. And it's kind of this show where they get some of the best marksmen, some of the best gun guys in the world. They get them together and they practice these different shots and they have this competition until they get like the best of the best at the end of the, the series of episodes there. And there was one guy, this guy was an expert in the rifle, and he was teaching this guy um, how to kind of shoot long-range shots. And it was pretty far down, like the target was where you could barely see it. And he gave him this bit of advice. He said, when you're looking down the scope and when you're lining up that sight, if you're off just a millimeter, when you're shooting 400, 500 yards down the range, that bullet is going to miss the target by yards. If you're off just by even the smallest increment, by a millimeter, that bullet, by the time it gets so many yards down that range, it's going to be off and totally miss the target. And I thought that's the way it is in our life. 
You guys, it's the small things that the enemy wants to distract you with. It's the small areas that he wants you to buy in and to focus your life in on the shadow mission instead of what God has truly called you to be, instead of what God has truly called you to become. It's the small details that he's going to tell you don't matter as much. You can lose focus in that area, and it's going to affect everyone around you. Men, do you know what your shadow mission is? That area where you can get off track and it can begin to affect other people around you. The second challenge is this. Men, who's the Mordecai in your life? Who's Mordecai in your life? You know, as guys, sometimes it's maybe hard for us to open up. It's hard to have those deeper friendships. We have a lot of surface conversations. We talk a lot about sports and the weather and things like that, but it's more difficult to open up our life to people that can speak truth in the way that we need to hear it. And Mordecai was that person. He was the only person in the story that stood up to someone and challenged him. God has a true calling over your life. Don't miss out on it. Don't give in to what other people are saying in the easy way out. No, you need to live out God's given call over your life. Who's Mordecai in your life, men? Who is it that you've opened up your life to that can challenge you in the way that you love your wife, in the example that you are to your kids, to other people around you? Who is it that can challenge you in the way that you use your influence at work and in the position and the leadership that God has given you that you don't fall into the trap of just living out a shadow mission, but you fulfill God's call over your life? See, each and every one of us, we need that person in our life that can do that, that can challenge us to live out God's mission. And the final challenge, men, in this room is this. Are you praying? Have you prayed for God to help you live out your true mission? Men, when's the last time you got on your knees, you got on your face in front of God, and you prayed for the boldness to live the way that he's called you to live? When's the last time, men, that you got on your knees for your family, for your friends, for other people in your life, for your kids, for your workplace, and said, God, help me not to live out other missions. Help my life not to be given to a focus, Lord, that's unworthy of the calling that you have for me. See, we need a generation of men that are willing to get on their knees and that are going to pray for their family, that are going to pray for the authority and the leadership that God's placed in their life. We need men that are going to cry out to God and say, God, give me the boldness every day to lay down my life to live the mission that you've called me to live out. Guys, are you doing that? Are you spending time praying for God's mission in your life? And I want to do that right now. I want to just in this service by praying together. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And I just want to start by asking if there's anyone in the room, anyone at all. And as I've been talking, you've been realizing that God has a call on your life. Maybe for you, you've been seeking for satisfaction in possessions. Maybe you've been seeking for fulfillment in the status that you have in a promotion at work in success as the world defines it. And this morning, you're, start to realize, you're starting to realize that your number one mission, the number one call God has for you is to be in a relationship with Him. It's to pursue Him. And He'll take care of the other things in your life. And if that's you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you're at and to come forward. I want to pray for you. The Word of God is very clear. We've all sinned. 
we've all messed up, we've all missed the mark that God has for our life. And this morning, he's inviting us into a relationship with him. And if that's you, you can just come forward right now. Amen, what's your name? James, I'm praying for you, man. I'm excited for the decision you're making this morning. so excited for you. Church, I'm going to ask if we would pray together this morning, whether you're saying this for the first time, whether you've prayed it before, would you repeat this after me? Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Take away my sins. Give me a brand new start. Be the Lord of my life. Be the savior of my life. I want to live out your mission. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together this morning? And while they're taking a quick moment and they're praying with them and talking with them about that next step, I want to ask all of us to pray together this morning. And if you're here in this room and... Um, maybe your dad or even just a spiritual leader, someone that you know, uh, you're here with a, a man. Would you just take a moment and just place your hand on their shoulder, place your hand on them? If you're sitting next to a stranger, maybe don't do that because it may be weird, but, but we want to pray for the men in the room. This is what I'm going to ask that you would pray is that God would help us as men to be that godly example, to live out God's true mission in our life, and that we would be men of prayer, we would be men that are pursuing a relationship with God, and we would help lead the way in our workplace, in our families, in our areas of influence that God has given us. And so let's take a moment and pray for the men in this room. God, I come before you this morning. Lord, I humbly ask for my life and for every man in this room that you would help us, Lord, not to be distracted. God, not to get off track from your true calling in our life, Lord. We want to be men in this room, Lord, that are pursuing you, God, that are loving the people that you've placed around us, God, that are being that godly example for the next generation. Lord, help us to live out your true mission, God. Don't let the enemy distract us, God. Don't let culture get us off track from what you have truly called us to be, God. We want to be men of integrity, God. We want to be men of prayer that are on our knees before you, God, crying out for those around us. God, give us the boldness. Give us the courage. Lord, to live out the mission that you've called us to. And I pray this in your name. Amen.